There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb. And uh, listen, hey, we want to take about five seconds to say uh, our our thoughts are with our co-host, Myson, who was in a very serious car accident prior to the show. And thank you so much to Blaine Grissack for stepping up and, and, excuse me, once again coming to our aid um at the last possible minute thank you blaine and um yeah i mean our our thoughts are definitely no problem um uh hearts are with mycin you know um hopefully he's okay and everything and um terrible situation there but i'm um, always always free to step in well fortunately scott and i were able to get the lowdown on mycin and and it does seem to be that he will be fine however oh good obviously um uh his car is is jacked up, and and he might have a concussion, and he definitely is all busted up. So there's going to be a healing process. But well, I don't know if there were any passengers. Neither Scott nor I asked that question. Um, but uh, uh, if there were, man, hopefully Myson's girlfriend was, if she was in the car, that she's okay. Uh, but. Uh, our thoughts are with him, man, no doubt. Um, yeah, rest up, Mason. Heal up, man. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, producer Scott there. Um, but we were fortunate enough to have Brent Lancaster secure us uh, the co-owner of footballguys.com. Uh, which is, uh, well, football guys. I mean, the answer is right there in the name of the website. Like, they are guys that love to talk football. Um, and the co-owner, Sigmund Bloom, has joined us. Uh, so, Sigmund, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day 
to join us here in our little corner of the internet uh, at the last possible moment, too. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I've always been a fan of, of Turf Show Times, you know, from the beginning of SB Nation pulling together all of these tremendous team sites. Uh, it's a similar vibe. It's the Jacksonville Jags Twitter world where at a certain point um, you get so beaten down by being a fan of a team that you it, it all, you lighten the mood. You know, you just you, you have to turn to humor. So I think anybody who's a parent sometimes understands this, you know, being a parent, sometimes all you can do is laugh uh, to keep from gouging your eyes out or something. And I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of in interacting with uh, Turf Show Times and writers over the years. And at the same time, you know, the show must go on. And, and you know, certainly echoing what you guys said about your, your, your co-host, and he'll be okay. The Rams have certainly felt like a the show must go on scene. But, you know, maybe this year we really truly do turn the page and, and they're no longer a punchline. Yeah, one can certainly hope so. I mean, that, that would be in an ideal world uh, the perfect scenario for Rams fans. Um, and we're going to get the chance to talk a little bit about that with you. Um, I think the first place to start is sort of the most obvious, and that's with Mr. Goff. Um, Jared Goff uh, had an historically awful season last year. There's no way of getting around it. But I feel that this must be mentioned I feel like Jeff Fisher was taking a square peg and trying to place it into a round hole. And outside of that, uh, statistically, Jeff Fisher's offense were some of the worst in the NFL. Uh, Though he did, and in credit where credit is due, he took a team that had pretty much the worst five years of any NFL team. Uh, I don't think that needs to be added on to there. Uh, but, but I was going to see NFL team in the league, and I'm like, I think that's a bit redundant. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about a team that followed up one-win seasons with two-win seasons. I mean, they were they were just in a pitiful state. And Fisher did take them and turn them into what ultimately became known for him as 7-9 bullshit, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but... Those, those were seven wins that Rams fans would have killed for during the lean years. So there needs to be credit where credit is due. But we have Sean McVay enter in, and what he does is uh, create offense. He's an offensive mind. He's an offensive guy, bringing with him a guy known for revitalizing and revamping uh, the career of Matt Ryan, turning him into, well, an NFL MVP, beating out Tom Brady. Um, He brings over Matt LaFleur. He signs Robert Woods. They draft Cooper Cup and Josh Reynolds. Uh, What do you honestly think fans can expect from Goff uh, as far as production, and you can put this in fantasy terms sure. if you'd like, or you can put it in NFL terms. I'll leave it up to you. But what can fans expect yeah. from, from, from Goff there? Well, look, this year, the Rams passing game is nowhere to look for 
fantasy value. Um, but we are looking for signs uh, in the future that it'll produce fantasy value. And this whole team is very fascinating because what we're going to see upon the unveil is very different than what we saw whenever uh, the end of the Jeff Fisher era you know, finally uh, excruciatingly came to a close. Um, you, you have the a youngest head coach, I believe the youngest head coach in NFL history, um, which you bring a whole, a whole new yes. vibe to the team. And as you said, an offensive mind. And you will be watching this just in the in the in the, the shadow cast when we watch Washington's offense. How important was Sean McVay's play calling to that offense? Uh, but the play calling is going to help a lot. I think that the whole team. It it just got. It's funny because the Rams. You mentioned those seven wins, and in three or four or five of those seven wins, maybe they look like they could beat just about anybody playing that week. The way the team would play especially if it was a divisional game. Uh, yeah, but- they took down the the Seahawks and Cardinals during the years when they were good, and, yeah. and the Rams were not. And it sometimes was with kind of fascinating. Yeah, it was sometimes, fascinating. But the rest of the weeks, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get. And then I, I think the wheels really came off last year. And I'm not really sure if it was Jeff Fisher's call to play Jared Goff. That could have been a call that came in from upstairs. Uh, but at the same time, he wasn't ready. Uh, and if there was a player that you could have used, could have used that time, um, it does seem like from early reports, you know, everyone's saying the right things. Although because Jared Goff so much was given to trade up for him and he was a number one overall pick, everything is going to be parsed. So we've already seen, you know, Sean McVay saying giving the competition line that every coach should give. And then that gets jumped on and he, he has to walk it back a little bit or otherwise give a vote of confidence for Jared Goff because he's going to get many, many chances to fail uh, before the team would move on. But there's optimism. Certainly uh, beat writers are, are saying from what they can see in OTAs, and it's just OTAs, he looks like somebody that has command of, of the offense. He looks like somebody who's sharp and showing some of the things that would make him a number one overall pick. Uh, but you see that Sean McVay is really reforming this offense. And, and, uh, and you mentioned the two receivers. We also have to mention Gerald Everett. Uh, this is an offense, I think, that's going to run out of the two tight end sets as a default. Um I think we have to mention Tyler Higby as a player. These are all players that we could be talking about in a year or two in fantasy leagues. And we're going to watch for those signs this year that it's a cruise ship. You know, you're not going to get it turned around 180 degrees in, in one smooth turn. It's going to take a while. We're looking for that, though. Confidence and really play calling, I think, is important because the Rams offense and, and this, of course, you know, the, the elephant in the room, so to speak, for fantasy Todd Gurley, this affects him because the offense seemed predictable morose, um, you know, just really uh, going through the motions. And that's why what's most, I think the biggest factor here is just everybody having hope, the ding dong, the witch is dead factor, you know, that we can, they can move forward as a team. And I I think even bringing up Wade Phillips and the energy he provides on the defensive side, the way that, you know, this was a defense two or three years ago that had some of the most fearsome players in the league. And, and a lot of these guys, uh, you know, are, were maybe defanged a bit um, as far as their effect on the outcome of games. So I think this is going to be a team with a spring in their step and Jared Goff can benefit from that. And he can also help fuel it a little bit. So this year he's a, a bottom of the barrel 
fantasy quarterback, maybe in these leagues where you start a quarterback as a flex or two quarterbacks, you know, you're going to have them on your bench and, and pick your spots. Like in the last year, you had a good game against New Orleans. You're going to pick your spots like that. But really what we're going to be looking for is how effective Sean McVay is in forming this offense around the, the vision that he has, these all these players he's brought in, um, you know, what's Tavon Austin going to do in a new role? Because you wonder how much were these talents weighed down by just the the sluggishness of this team under Jeff Fisher and how much do we see them like, like the weight has been lifted uh, and we see some of that natural talent come to the surface, but it will still be a work in progress this year. Yeah. The, I think there's some sentiment or at least a notion of those who intelligently uh, follow the Rams or football in general, who, get and understand that there's going to be a transition. But fortunately for Goff, the transition is going to be an offense that's much more preferable to his style of play. We're going to see more four receiver sets. We're going to see more uh, two tight end sets where the tight ends are actually weapons. And you have the Rams going ahead and spending a second round pick on a guy like Gerald Everett a year removed from grabbing a guy like Tyler Higby, who a lot of people projected and thought would go to the Rams, uh, our own Mice and Adiasor at called it and said that the Rams would, would take him, and, and indeed they did in that round. Um, it's just seemed like a natural fit. The Rams needed pass-catching tight ends. Lance Kendricks wasn't obviously getting the job done. Uh, there were too many drops. Uh, where do you come down on Gerald Everett as a second-round mm-hmm. pick? Tight ends don't traditionally flourish their first year in the league. No. But we're starting to see that trend break with guys like Trav and Travis Kelce. And, and so on and so forth. It's mm-hmm. not it's not all over the place, but we are starting to see trends of tight ends breaking that first year uh, impact woes. Uh, what do you think Gerald Everett can offer moving forward? Well, he's a classic receiving tight end, you know, a really fluid athlete, uh, creates a lot after the catch, you know, has that bas- has some basketball in his background for the, those ball skills. And he's obviously a centerpiece you know, for the team, a team that he was basically their first round pick. I mean, this is a, a, t- a team to put this, this was one of the clearest statements of, of the direction a team wants to head whenever they use their first pick in a draft. They don't have the first round on a position where they already had Tyler Higby. And I, and we certainly should m- mention that Tyler Higby, I believe, is Jared Goff's roommate. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of connection we care about in fantasy football. But I think you could see this offense a la Gronk and Hernandez really run through these tight ends and guys like Austin and Cup and Reynolds are more um, compliments. Uh, you know, maybe Cooper Cup, a third down specialist and, and Josh Reynolds giving you a vertical element and then Tavon Austin, you're trying to isolate in space and, and use his vertical speed in a way that he, he wasn't used enough before. Uh, but Gerald Everett has the skills and you know, maybe part of the reason tight ends are always so slow to develop is you're really learning two positions and he's more of a, 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 a tight end that you're going to put a lineup in the slot, lineup outside, get in a mismatch, uh, and allow to, you know, most of his value is going to be in the receiving game. But I, and I'm still interested in Tamarick Hemingway. And I know that McVay has praised him too. So they really have three quality players. Tyler Higby, of course, a, 
a, a baby Gronk type. Uh, and, and you mentioned Travis Kelsey. He's in that mold, um, a, an athletic player, but also one that plays with a, a, an edge, a mean streak. And uh, you know, he was really a second rounder quality on film, but remember he got arrested before the draft and you know, that's why he fell uh, to the round he did. But I think that you can see the aspiration and direction they want this offense to go. Obviously Everett's a big part of that for the long term. And what we're looking for this year are those, those flash plays or the, the you know, with Sean McVay, what you hope is you know, Jared Goff and, and even some of the, um, the, you know, the receivers and things, you're not going to overwhelm the defense uh, with, with sheer talent or athletic advantages, it, but neither did Kirk Cousins and the players Kirk Cousins had, except for maybe Jordan Reed and and and, and Deshaun Jackson's deep speed, and I think that um, with Tavon Austin doing that, you have uh, Tavon Austin corresponding to Deshaun Jackson. You have Lance Dunbar corresponding to Chris Thompson. You have Gerald Everett corresponding to Jordan Reed, and it's play design and play calling and play sequencing. I think that helped Washington a lot, and that's the uh, another thing we're going to look for for the potential for the fantasy fortunes of this offense to at least you know get the t- engine to turn over. Yeah, I just want to follow up real quick, Blaine, and then I'll I'll kick it over to you. A lot of people talk about play calling. The play calling isn't as important as play design. Play design is really where you're going to make your money as an offensive coordinator. A lot of people can call plays. I mean, people who play Madden can call plays. But being able to design and create space is where you mention a guy like – McVay and and Lafleur flourish. How much of an improvement, if you had to maybe like just from one to ten, how much of an improvement are they just as an offensive piece moving forward as into when it comes to play design. Yeah, well, you hope you get to like a three or a four this year, but that we want the arrow pointing up for as these players grow together and mature together. Um, and the offensive line too. The offensive line was part of what s- slowed this team down. So you see a commitment there with Andrew Whitworth, who's taking a, a, a leadership role already. John Sullivan, an, a leadership type player. Um, and it, it's funny because on one hand you have this youthful head coach, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of. Um, I don't want to say an out of the box thinker, but I think he's not going to do it the old way. He's not he's not recycled. Uh, but then you also have some older players coming in to set the tone for some of these younger players to learn by example. Um, so I, I think that you may see this also as a team that's a very different team at the end of the year than is at the beginning of the year. If, it's, if there's optimism and, and and really getting everyone to buy into the program and the the three year plan as opposed to just 2017. Now, um, one player that we certainly need to need to, need to mention, and, and one that was everybody was kind of scratching their heads on last year was was Todd Gurley. You know, he, he came out as a rookie and just kind of you know he caught eyes, but but last year he, he certainly fell off a cliff. So going into this year, what Todd Gurley do you think shows yeah. up? Well, it may be a week to week thing. You know, um, there might be some weeks that they're overwhelmed and he gets 12 or 13 carries. And there might be some weeks that um, Wade Phillips defense makes some plays and he's able to get over 20 carries and have the kind of games he had in his rookie year that really surprised us. For now in fantasy football, he's a bit of a cautionary example. You know, no matter how good the talent is, 
the, the situation can be that anchor that pulls him down to the bottom of the ocean, but he's still going because of the flashes of talent that we saw as early as the second round and certainly no later than, than the third round in fantasy drafts. And that's difficult for me to co-sign on. And that, and I'm somebody that last year was willing to take him in the first round because I said, the fact that the situation was so bad around him in his rookie year, and he still ran through brick walls, even though defenses knew he was basically all the Rams had showed us that we had a truly special talent on our hands. And we, and he may show us that again this year, but Lance Dunbar, I think is a player that Sean McVay handpicked. And he's a player that before he had that catastrophic knee injury for the Cowboys was very dynamic as a receiver out of the backfield, very natural. And and, and really it's not just going to be a, a, a third down back or a passing down back, but I think a core part of this offense in the way that they have a role and vision for him. And, you know, for Jared Goff, I mean, you want high percentage plays. You want, you want plays to build his confidence. That's also why I think it's good that they're going to run this off pass offense through the tight end. So I can't say that I would take Todd Gurley in the second or third round of drafts. I think there'll be some weeks that he is the elite player simply because I think you saw him discouraged. You saw the whole team discouraged last year. And I think that, is going to change this year, but I still think you have this, the sheer problem of game scripts. And then from a fantasy perspective, a lot of what kept him afloat last year was that they did start to use him as a receiver and he was underrated as a receiver coming out of Georgia, but now they have a, a true receiving back who's going to probably take him off the field more in those third down situations than he was in last year. So that makes the margin of air a little bit thinner when you're starting him week to week. So much like the rest of the offense, I feel like by 2018, we might really have something here. This is going to be the year for them to get these pieces in place and start to get all the circuitry linked up. Now, um, speaking of just receiving, I guess, um, one of the Rams' bigger free agent um, targets this year was, was Robert Woods. And he's a receiver that came out, came from Buffalo, and he's never really eclipsed 700 yards as a receiver. But with McVay, how much of a leap in production do you think that they can get from him now that he is the main guy as where in Buffalo, you know, Sammy Watkins was a primary target there. Right. The number two receiver in Buffalo is a blocking receiver, really, which is good for Todd Gurley. Um, you know, but at the same time, I really think that when we see how this offense goes, and I think some of this goes back to play design that we were just talking about, that you may see four players with 40 to 60 receptions or five players with 40 to 60 receptions, you know, Dunbar and Higby and Cup and um, Woods, you know, all in that range. And and, and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see um, who else may come on, but I don't think you're going to see a true number one receiver. I, I do think that Robert Woods, when you think about him potentially drawing guys like Patrick Peterson, like Richard Sherman, like, um, Richard Robinson, who's a really nice up and coming corner in San Francisco. I think a lot of people are going to learn his name this year. Uh, you, you don't have that player that's going to win those one-on-one matchups in Robert Woods, but you do have a player. I think that, that, uh, you know, again, the blocking is going to help. I think that he's going to see more looks than he did in Buffalo, but it's really hard to see anybody in this passing game really em- emerging as a, a true go-to target this year. Sorry about that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is is sort of a theme with with uh, the receivers that that the Rams were looking at was route running. Now you got Robert Woods, who was a probably as prolific of a route runner as you were going to get coming out of USC um, at that time. Uh, not to say that he's 
you know, an elite NFL route runner, but for college, he certainly understood it. And he's worked out quite nicely as a possession receiver in the NFL. Now, you add Cooper Cup, and you have two receivers on either side of the ball who are capable of creating separation by virtue of the fact that they have route running ability. And then you add dynamic playmaker in Tavon Austin and a guy who can go up and high point the ball in Josh Reynolds. And to my mind, you have a halfway decent receiving core. It's not something that's going to light the world on fire, but this is an offense that to me should be able to move the ball with relative ease. You have Todd Gurley, Lance Dunbar, they drafted Sam Rogers theoretically to help Todd Gurley in those two back situations. He's more of a fullback, but that can act as a running back. Um, but uh, I, I just I, I I wonder how prolific can this offense be given uh, the skill that they've added on on both sides of the ball. It can't. It can be again. It's going to look leaps and bounds better than what we've seen in recent years. Um, and I, we keep coming back to the same theme of of play design of Sean McVay going back to Jay Gruden going back to even the, you know the Bengals where Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins. I mean, we may look back in three or four years and say Jared Goff is, is as good as Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins. That's not that high of a bar for him. And what you see with Dalton and Cousins are they they're good when they're an extension of the coach and they're running the plays that's drawn up and the play works. Uh, and with this, these kind of, uh, this kind of variety of elements in the passing game, as, as you said, you know, um, you know, Josh Reynolds can win these one-on-one battles uh, at the catch point, and Tavon Austin can win with speed and quickness, and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods can w- win with route running, you know, and, and discipline and precision in, in their game, and and then you add the mismatches that guys like um, Everett and Higby can present, and Lance Dunbar and his quickness and his natural hands leaking out of the backfield. Even Todd Gurley is a receiver. If you can take these elements and, and put them in concert in a way that creates individual mismatches, as you said earlier, creating some space on the field for these players to do some work, and Jared Goff executes, and you know that's all we're asking him to do. We're not asking him to create outside of structure. We're not asking him to, to be a, a hero. We're just asking him to activate what this mind can do now that you've got all these pieces, these handpicked pieces already. Uh, so I think it can definitely be a lot better. It's going to be a week-to-week kind of thing. I think there'll be some defenses that are better prepared uh, just in terms of personnel and, and that can answer some of the questions that will be posed by this offense and some that won't. But and, you know, again, the offensive line could be a really big difference here uh, with a couple of anchors and um, you know just some players. I, I just think the fresh start attitude around the building is going to rub off on players in a way that I think you will see a few weeks that things click, uh, but there'll obviously be some growing pains too. Sure. And a couple of those players, well, one of those positions that you mentioned that should be much improved after being much maligned last year is the offensive line. Now, Good old Greg Robinson couldn't even make it out of OTAs at the right tackle position before being replaced by Jamon Brown. Um, I don't really know how to ask this. Is Greg Robinson an NFL player? 
Well, I mean, this is one of those things, too, that um, Matt Waldman, my colleague, is a brilliant oh, football oh, writer. Yes. My, oh, yes. They had he, him on here several times. He's wonderful. And he wrote a piece, I think, seven years ago now called The Great Emotional Divide. And he really laid out how um, very few of us, if any, can understand the immense pressure and mind, body, soul commitment um, that it, it takes to be an NFL player. And even the players themselves don't quite understand what it's going to be asked of them uh, on a constant basis to be able to 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 handle the the emotional, psychological rigors of being an NFL player, not to mention the physical side. And the, even the highest draft picks, you know, you can say Aaron Curry um, in the same division in Seattle, even can't quote unquote can't miss players uh, are can sometimes fall apart under that magnifying glass ryan leaf comes to mind sure sure and and it's not it's not something that you can go back and watch the tape and point to trent richardson you know and i know that's a name when i when we mentioned todd Gurley, we mentioned trent richardson people would shudder but trent richardson wasn't putting in the work i don't think there's any sign that that's a problem with todd Gurley. but, but my, my point is i think with greg robinson um that that might have been part of the problem and it, you know i think w- what i'm going to be interested to see because we could talk about the defensive side of the ball too just team culture wise you know there's going to be a ma- massive change in team culture there's gonna be a massive change in offensive and defensive meetings than what we had before and you know wade phillips has improved defenses everywhere he's gone because we need to get aaron donald in, in you know to show up but um pay the man come on uh but you know some of these players that have been missing in action like robert quinn um, even Michael Brockers, I think they haven't really gotten everything they hoped to get out of him. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see LaMarcus Joyner in a full-time role. Uh, Mo Alexander is an interesting player that's, I think, not going to be miscast. Now um, you have Mark Barron and Alec Ogletree, you know, and their natural seek-and-destroy chase styles might fit better in a, in a Wade Phillips defense. And all of these things, could offense and defense could rub off on each other. So Greg Robinson, like what you liked about Greg Robinson, and I was all, all on board with Greg Robinson as, as the pick for them because he just obliterated his opponents in the run game, just absolutely destroyed them. And physically there was enough there to think that he could, uh, he could translate as an adequate pass blocker. Uh, but as an at for attitude, he fit what the Rams wanted to do. They wanted to, to beat you in a way that demoralized you. Um, and it just never clicked for him. So I don't know. I think this is probably that last go around. And as you said, early signs are that he's not necessarily responding to the new message and new culture, but there's still a lot of time left to go. Uh, but it is a reminder that, you know, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a can't miss player because not because of the physical side of the game, I think, but because of the rigors that are asked of players to stay dedicated and focused. And, and especially when you get a contract that you get, in the top five of the draft, it can make it a lot more difficult to find your motivation. Now, um, speaking of players that the Rams maybe wish they could have, could get more out of, I think you could maybe throw Tavon Austin out, out there. I mean, he's certainly produced. He, he scored touchdowns all over the field, it seems like. But as a receiver, it just seems like they've never really found a role for him as a receiver. Um, how much do you think his role changes in a Sean McVay offense? Do, do you think that it spikes his production immensely? Um, do you think he kind of fades away because he is more of that gadget type player? Where do you see him fitting? Well, I think that he will get every opportunity to show us that he's not that gadget type player. And what was missing from the offense previously, you know, other than continuity, um, was imagination. 
And again, this is the theme we're going to keep hitting. And it's and it's a it's a reveal. I, I, I and we can look at Sean McVay and Washington for some clues, but we're not really going to see it. And obviously, Jared Goff is that critical point of fail, failure or that light bulb that could screw in and, and really light the whole thing up where these players will be deployed in a way that will put them in situations to succeed. I mean, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's something that was lacking terribly from the Rams offense in the past. So I think you're going to see Tavon Austin isolated more. And I also think you're going to see Tavon Austin used as a decoy more, you know, that you kind of like the dog in the tennis ball where you drag him across the formation and do some things to, to use him to, to get the defense to commit a certain way, which is, I think what they had in mind when they took him, but they didn't have the offensive mind or imagination or, um, or, or boldness in place to try to really leverage off of his combination of quickness and speed. Uh, and I think that Sean McVay will have a plan for him. I think he'll have a plan for everybody. And if Jared Goff can execute at times, that the, that plan will be in focus and, and it should should be a cause for optimism. For sure, for sure. Um, and w- one name that just it keeps on popping up is, is Sean McVay. There's no doubt that um, his offensive mind compared to Jeff Fisher's, it's, it's, they're two very different offensive mind head coaches. How... In terms of fantasy, how much are you factoring Sean McVay into the equation when it comes to the draft? Because before this year, you know, outside of Gurley, maybe Kenny Britt, maybe, um, you'd avoid Rams offensive players at all costs. Right, right. How much does McVay change that? Like, are, are you looking more later to draft maybe steal sure. a Rams player or? Well, I, th- I still think that Todd Gurley is, is t- a tough proposition as high as he goes. But I think that t- Sean McVay is the reason we're even looking at this Rams offense at all. And not so much from your classic season-long fantasy point of view would you tap this offense. I mean, I, Tavon Austin, there are leagues called best ball leagues where you just have your team that you draft. You don't manage your lineup and you just get the best scores every week. And Tavon Austin, you know, is going to give you a long score three or four times this year, otherwise a game where, and I think that's what we're going to see. And we, we, you know, we can, we can look at Washington where there might be a week that based on the personnel, based on the flaws they see in the opposing defense, that it, it, it's a Tyler Higby week. There might be a week that it's a girly week. There might be a week that it's a Lance Dunbar week and he gets six or seven or eight receptions. There might be a week that it's a Cooper cup week because of how, he's matching up against you know a, a third string nickel corner or something like that and then but sean mcveigh i think is going to be proactive instead of reactive um and i think from a you know a daily fantasy point of view where you're putting the other lineup just for that week to try to win some of these contests we may isolate some of these matchups you know especially against san francisco whose defense well san francisco is a team is basically where los angeles is right now in the sense that you're blowing the whole thing up you have a lot of players trying to either reestablish themselves or establish themselves, and you have new schemes on both sides of the ball. And I think you may have some, some you know, when, when the Rams are playing the 49ers, you may see some season-high games from some of these players. And what we're going to try to do is, is think like Sean McVay and, and try to anticipate who he's going to highlight. And uh, obviously we're going to look for connections and chemistry between Goff and, and his receivers. And again, that's why I want to just think that he and Tyler Higby are an interesting one, especially because we heard so much buzz about Higby before the season. He didn't get that much of an opportunity, uh, but he's got a new regime now. And for whatever reason, he wasn't used more last year. Uh, he's going to get a chance to show that that hype was warranted last summer. I, I'm, I'm curious Specifically with John Sullivan and Andrew Whitworth, Mm. uh, 
We've had on numerous different guests, and the one question that I've asked everyone is, who do you think the best signing the Rams made in the offseason? We'll just start there. Yeah, well, Andrew Whitworth, I mean, usually I don't think you should see, I'm looking at the Bengals here, um, you shouldn't see a player of his caliber at a position that is as scarce as for players uh, of his caliber as Andrew Whitworth hitting free agency. You know, I think the Bengals blew this. And, um, you know, there's that good piece um, from the Orange County Register this week about how he really is taking a leadership role uh, and as I said earlier, leading by example. And this is a player I think that can allow Jared Goff to have a little more sense of security. You know, again, this is a division where you have Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett and Frank Clark and uh, Elvis Dumerville. We'll see about Aaron Lynch and, and DeForest Buckner and Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden. And, um, and I think Andrew Whitworth is a hugely important piece to allow Jared Goff's confidence to start to build and, and to execution. Um, so I think that that's, that's very important. Uh, and it, to, it's just, a, it was just a boon and I, well, it's even more surprising. And I think you have to say hats off probably to Sean McVay. I totally just, used that word last week. Actually, I what, literally boom, surprised. A boon. Yeah, well, well, because you shouldn't, not only should you not be able to get a player of Andrew Whitworth's caliber at that important position, but the Rams, I mean, if you think of this thing like in college recruiting terms, you know, Sean McVay must have really put stars in his eyes about what he could do. Because I think Andrew Whitworth even said something to the effect of, you know, he had an ideal situation in Cincinnati and now not so much. And he's look, looking forward to taking on that challenge. Um, so I think it's a good sign that Sean McVay is creating enthusiasm and optimism. And uh, I think we see this offense outperforming expectations. Obviously, Goff is the key, uh, but we may look and see the, the hidden MVP uh, as Whitworth. Um. I want to talk a little bit about Josh Reynolds. Mm-hmm. What type of player can Josh Reynolds develop into? Like, what is the ceiling? I hate player comparisons, but give me a mold of a player that Josh Reynolds can develop into if everything goes right offensively. Yeah, um, you know, I try yeah, I, I, a Malcolm Floyd type. You know, um, a a long limbed sort of slender, uh, deep receiver who has a surprising long striding speed, um, winning at the catch point on those back shoulder timing type throws, Uh, you know, adding a vertical element plus speed that isn't uh, necessarily the true fifth gear burner speed, but with that size um, can create some plays over the top. And, uh, you know, he has surprising ball skills, uh, you know, ball tracking, adjusting to, to poorly thrown balls and things like that. He's not this physical force that, say, Mike Williams, um, that's number seven pick of the Chargers, is uh, because he has a more of a slender build. But he can do some of the same things in the air, and his speed is plenty enough at his size to threaten downfield. So, you know, not a true number one receiver, but a, a receiver who uh, can can create those splash plays downfield and, and be a tough matchup for most corners. Now, um, 
the Rams, speaking of the wide receiver position, I, I think it's one of the more intriguing positions on the Rams roster because, I mean, you have guys like Tavon Austin and Robert Woods who are more so on the proven um, type players at, at the NFL level. But then behind them, you know, you have guys like Cooper Cup, who's a rookie, Josh Reynolds, a rookie, uh, Mike Thomas, who, you know, he, he's in his second year. And then, you know, that, that trend continues going down the roster. So how much of a growing pain do you think it is, it's going to be for those players that are I guess kind of going to be going to be forced into maybe a position they're not ready for or, or a role they're not ready for. What do you think is like a realistic um, expectation for those guys? Yeah, well, I mean, and for fantasy, we're going to kind of move on, but realistically, I think what we're looking for is um, really it's we're, we're going to be evaluating like when we evaluate the receivers, we're going to evaluate Goff and McVeigh and and, and Lafleur all at once. You know, are they being are they being used in situations that magnify their skills and their advantages uh, in, in a way that we didn't see players used well under Jeff Fisher? Um, and then are they executing? So I, I think that you know, and Mike Thomas, you you, you know, he had you saw the speed, the classic play from last year when he gets behind the defense and drops the ball. But you know, he's an interesting guy. I think that was very underrated um, coming out of Southern Miss. Um, I still think he's somebody that could make some noise as a fifth receiver. And what's nice about this receiver situation is there's a lot of opportunity up for grabs. I mean, Austin's going to play his role. Woods is going to play his role. But otherwise, you want to preach that competition like Seattle has. You want to follow through. And I I do think that between Cup and Thomas and Reynolds, um, hopefully they can have a healthy competition to get on the field for snaps. Um, I don't think you're going to see anybody truly break out. But I think you want to see signs that they can do what they're asked to do and they're they're being used in a way that leverages what they have because they do have an interesting mix of talents, even though there's not a number one receiver. Uh, and again, we'll keep hammering this idea that if you draw up the plays so that they're creating space for each other, or otherwise used in a way to, to use in a way to, you know, I'm picturing ways that Chip, Chip Kelly for everything terrible we would say about him could really explain a play very simply to talk about how, you know, we have these players running crossing routes because they almost act as natural picks for this guy, this receiver come, running back coming out of the backfield into the, you know, into the flat. And, and I think Sean McVay is going to be able to do that where the natural play design should create advantages in addition to the talents these guys bring to the field. Um, for sure, for sure, I to- totally agree. Um, moving on, you know, we- we've talked about the offense a lot, but moving on to, I guess, the defensive side of the ball. Um, Brands picked up Wade Phillips in the off- offseason, which was a huge addition. But with his addition, they're moving from a four-three to a three-four. How much of a gr- how much how much of a growing pain do you think there's going to be there? Because I mean, as good of a coach as Wade Phillips is, moving from one scheme to to another, it could take some time for you know these guys to find their roles on, on the defense in terms of, you know, Aaron Donald moving maybe from, you know, inside to outside to the, at defensive end. Um, so how long do you think they find their role and get, get in a groove? It's surprisingly short time. And we can see at basically every stop Wade Phillips defenses have improved and he's got, sometimes had good defenses to begin with. Uh, and it's, it's, I think it's an attacking style. I think that his, uh, his, Long tenure around the league secures buy-in and commitment from players. I think players are excited to play for him. I think that it, you know it, it can even create that um, mentality, like almost like a defense versus offense mentality, which can be healthy. For, uh, you know, and say you know defense as we've seen the Rams do in the past, like drag the team to a win. Um, so I think some of these guys, like uh, Robert Quinn and 
Aaron Donald, again, an Ogletree and Mark Barron. I think they can flourish in this attacking scheme. Uh, and it, it's not a typical 3-4 where the players up front are, are two-gapping and having to think a lot. Uh, and I think that's going to be really conducive for the personnel that they have. Getting you out of here on a couple last questions. Sure. I would like to know, what do you think win total if you were putting a win total on this season at let's say let's go a a, a realistic a wild card and a best case scenario yeah you know so that realistic median total at it as mm, five or six you know I think it's okay. reason it's reasonable to say that they can get two or three wins in the division just because they always play the division tough. Um, they draw the NFC East, which you know there's not an easy game in the NFC East really. Uh, they do at least get the the Eagles and and Washington to come to town, uh, and then they draw the AFC South. And I don't think there's necessarily an easy game in the AFC South either. There, there's winnable games, you know. When Andrew Luck comes to town to open the season, coming off of his shoulder surgery, he seems to be behind Cam Luck, um, Cam Luck, Cam Newton, and his recovery. That's a winnable game. You know, we'll see what the Texans' quarterback situation looks like when they come to town. That's a winnable game. Um, their other two games uh, outside of the division are the Saints and the um, the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, these aren't you know it, it, it's so that so that then leads to. You know, two, three, four wins is certainly possible on the on the downside. And then if the Wade Phillips defense can take the role that the defense did when the Rams were good at their best under Jeff Fisher, and sometimes sure. you, you're leveraging, making those splash plays, shortening the field for Jared Goff, allowing Todd Gurley to get those good game scripts, you could see this as a as an uh, sorry, the seven win or eight win team. But quarterback play is so important, and Jared Goff's gonna he's gonna be better than he was last year, but I don't think he's gonna be good enough for them to be a winning team this year. Okay. And lastly, I, I'm curious, the Rams now have have extended the stadium. Uh, it, it will be completed in 2020 as opposed to 2019. What are the odds Sean McVay is still the coach by the time the new stadium opens in 2020? I'm going to be optimistic here and say 80 or 90 percent, you know. Nice. Um, because how many years did they give Jeff Fisher? You know. Yeah, uh, or uh, or for that matter, if you want to go the other way, how many years has Arson Banger gotten over at Arsenal? I mean, geez, right, right. If we're looking at the mentality of the ownership, and also that you have a, I mean, look. So they they should be looking to the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, who you know they brought him in as a very young coach. And I think that that the unique opportunity that gives you is having a, a, a coach that might have a, a 15 or 20 year tenure, which is unheard of these days. And with that, the continuity that that can allow, um, it, it just does so much for a team. So I, I do think that uh, and the, the only way that Sean McVay's not the head coach in three years is if he's an abject failure. And I haven't seen any sign yet that I think that's going to happen. I haven't seen, you know, you mentioned Lance Kendricks, and you can't help but think of Josh McDaniels. Um, and I, 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 I can't, I don't see that kind of hubris. I see somebody who is ready for the job right. as and understands the Wayne Kiffin. You don't same same exactly. style of hubris. 
yeah, I don't see that with Sean McVay. I see somebody, I, I think the Rams got this higher right, and I think that they're going to give him the time that, you know, again, we can look at um, what uh, the Raiders have done with Reggie McKenzie, where you give someone time. And I do think the the, the success will come uh, if they give McVay time, and I, I, I see no reason they won't. All right, and the last thing was from uh, Danny Ocean. Ocean Motion wants to know. He asked, said, "Ask Sigmund Bloom, who is the best young Ram for Dynasty?" I, I still think that um, even though they drafted Gerald Everett, I still really like Tyler Higby. And I saw some of the same things from him at Western Kentucky that we saw from Travis Kelsey in Cincinnati. Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. might be ready to take his helm as the number one fantasy tight end uh, with Jeremy Macklin gone, where what you see with Higby is a really, you know, for a, a big, powerful athlete, he's smooth, he's got soft hands and natural ball skills. But he plays much like Kelsey, much like Rob Gronkowski. He plays with this, like, the the joyful warrior. You know, he likes to dish it out. He likes to mix it up. Um, And I think that he can be a marquee player in this offense. I I think that he, and again, I come back to, I think narrative belongs in football analysis. I think it belongs in fantasy football analysis. The the quarterback's roommate. Um, and, And, you know, we think of that chemistry sometimes as what separates uh, receivers and tight ends in fantasy football. And I would expect that uh, it probably, you know, as Jared Goff grows, he and, and Higby will grow together. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Wayne, do you have any last questions here for Sigmund? Um, no, I think we, 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 we covered quite a bit. Okay. All right. So, Sigmund, one of the things that we like to do for every guest that comes on our show is at the end of the show, we like to give them an opportunity to talk about either uh, an article or a project that they have either just done or are working on, would like to draw attention to. And also, like Matt Waldman does, uh, if you have a cause like with Darkness to Light that you would like to bring attention to, the floor is yours. This is your opportunity. And don't forget to include where people can track you down on yeah. social. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I'll just call attention to the amazing staff we have at Football Guys. And everything will be um, free uh, through July 15th. And you know, we're fantasy football crazy and football crazy. And you know, right now, our, we're going to be rolling out our overvalued, undervalued, and deep sleeper series, which really summons up the power of the whole the brain power of the whole staff and it gives you that landscape if you're just starting to reboot in your fantasy football mindset you know we lay out our favorite value picks are who we think are the most overvalued players right now and some players that are outside of the top 150 players being drafted that we think should be on your radar and i just feel really lucky to get a chance to do uh what i do with them and of course we have got the audible at the audible um, at sigmund bloom and um, matt waldman is, is a big part of what we do there uh and and um, it's just really great to have seen, you know, I, 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 I'm really happy to be on the show because I've always enjoyed uh, the contributions of, of these. I think we've all gotten smarter because of sites like like y'all, like Turf Show Times, that, that people that are in a, it, with a, a very critical eye um, looking at their team and, and, and really helping us understand more than we would just by the, the the time we have to devote when we're trying to, to really understand the whole league. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, um, you know, I, I just look forward to us all getting a chance to play in each other's sandboxes for a long time. Sounds perfect to me. Well, 
Sigmund, man, I can't say thank you enough from all of us here at Turf Show Times. We would definitely love to have you on again down the line if you're game, possibly towards the uh, the start of the season as fall camp sorts itself out, and we know for certain who's going to be playing in what role. Um, love to have you come on and talk more about the fantasy angle because we have a boatload of people who play fantasy. And while I don't understand it, I know that's where the money's at, so I'm just <laughs> going to have to talk about it. I mean, you, you got to know your audience, right? Yeah, right? no. It just gives us an excuse to obsess about football even more than we would anyway. Uh, but no, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to a chance to do it anytime. All right, Sigmund Bloom, ladies and gentlemen, footballguys.com, Sigmund Bloom uh, at twitter.com. Please check him out. Thank you so much, Sigmund. All right. Uh, So, Blaine, man, uh, what dost thou think? Um, I mean, you know, for for somebody that's focus is in, you know, the fantasy aspect of Mm -hmm. – of the NFL, I guess, you know, he was really knowledgeable in, in, in everything, you know, he um, yeah. knew what he was talking about with, with, with the Rams and, um, you know, he talked about McVay a lot and um, what he can bring to the offense. And um, it's something I think to be really excited about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's nice when you have fantasy guys on that are so involved in fantasy that they happen to know every single player what kind of an impact you can expect them to have with the Rams um, and so on. Uh, That was honestly one of the most fun conversations I've had with a fantasy guy because I've gone on fantasy shows before and I got to tell you, it's not surprising that I've never been asked back on a single fantasy show that I've ever been on because... I know not how to phrase answers for fantasy guests or listeners. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was it was nice that you know, like he could talk about everything. You know, he, he wasn't just so focused in on on the on the fantasy dialogue of of the NFL. You know, he was able to talk about it all, which was which was really nice. And you know, I, I think because of that, we were able to take more away from the interview in general. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, um. Let's look ahead, ah, excuse me, to some of what we've got. Joe Marciano wants to know what does he think of Gurley's role in McVeigh's offense and where does he think Gurley will rank this year? I do believe that question has been answered. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, he was very uh, he was very high on Gurley, I think. He felt that Gurley is going to have a more productive season this year than last year. And one of the things that I really appreciated about his answer is that I feel it was honest. I've seen way too many people dismiss Todd Gurley's bad year as as it having anything to do with Todd Gurley because of how bad the Rams' offensive line was. No, look, Todd Gurley had problems because Todd Gurley also had problems, and it it it, it is not solely on the Rams' offensive line that Todd Gurley had a bad year. But yeah, he did, he, he did have a crap season though. Go ahead. 
yeah, yeah, you, you can't totally blame it on the offensive lines. Part of part of it is on Gurley, but but like you said, Sigmund was higher on Gurley than, than most, and I think I think that's fair because I, I just you know is Gurley as good as good as he showed in, in in his rookie year? Maybe is he as bad as he was last year? Hopefully not. I, I think I think I think that's a good middle of the road there where he he's kind of in between where he was his rookie year and last year. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that 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 people have sort of overlooked with Todd Gurley is is that he has shown us he is more than capable of being successful in the NFL for all the right reasons. He, definitely, he definitely. He's a patient runner. He can look for his lanes. He follows his blocks. He knows how to be explosive. Even though he's not necessarily a home run hitter, he knows how to find a second gear. Um, he's got all of the attributes that you could want in an NFL running back. And I, I think that <clears throat> though he had a very bad year last year, as with all things in life, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with that. And, you know, you kind of have to wonder if, if last year was also kind of a factor of, you know, him being frustrated with just be- losing so much. You know, they, they started 3-1, and one and then... i got to be honest. I think, the the rest of the year. I, think the, I think the team quit on Jeff Fisher at a certain point. I, I really do. I think they knew Fisher was gone. I think they knew that, that, that Fisher was essentially a lame duck head coach because his contract talks had stalled due to performance on the field and performance on the field stalled because Jeff Fisher is not really an adaptable NFL coach. He is the same guy he has always been and will be. I don't really see him getting another job in the NFL outside of the defensive coordinator. I don't think he's an NFL head coach any longer. I think that time has since passed him by. Um, I just, I think his biggest problem came down to adaptability. He never really seemed to be interested in making a holistic approach to coaching. Yeah, I I, I, to- I totally agree. He, he was stuck in his old ways, and, and like you said, you know, he never adapted. And you know, we we, we talked about with 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 Sigmund. You know, McVay is going to bring, I think, an energy, a new energy to to the Rams, and um, is it'll be interesting to see how that rubs off on players like Gurley, who got frustrated and maybe did quit on Jeff Fisher last year. You know, how, how much of a positive effect does this new energy and new vibe in the building bring on bring on the, the Rams in general? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be curious to see how it all plays out. <laughs> um, I I think the additions of Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan alone are going to increase the viability of the Rams' offensive line. I think if Sullivan can stay healthy, and that's a big if, but if Sullivan can stay healthy. The Rams have upgraded at the center spot by about a thousand percent. For sure, I mean it, it, it's hard, it's harder to get it's hard to get worse than what what Tim Barnes was last year and anybody else that they they, they had at that position and you know bringing in a guy like Whitworth 
not only you know is he a, a, a Pro Bowl and potential you know future Hall of Famer left tackle, but he's also you know a, a veteran guy on that offensive line that the younger guys like like Jamon Brown and and Rob Havenstein can can look up up to. You know, I was reading something a, a, a Twitter report that. Um, Roger Saffold, that he was getting all of like these questions from the younger players, and quite frankly, it was overwhelming for him, and he got um, just mentally exhausted from it. So having another guy like Whitworth to spread that out, um, I think will pay will pay dividends. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think I also think that John Sullivan, you know, the Rams gave him what amounts to a one year deal, so it's essentially a contract year for Sullivan stay healthy and you're probably going to get a two or a three year contract worth a decent amount because he is capable of playing at a high level um, at the center position. I uh, I am curious, man. Who do you think, who do you have pegged in, written in, penciled in, however you want to phrase it? Who do you have selected to be the biggest impact player that the Rams drafted. That they drafted? I, um, that's tough. Just, um, you know, damn right a... it's tough. Now answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I, I think it's going to be Cooper Cup. I, I, I think it's going to take time for Everett to, um, find it, find a role and, and start producing. I, I think he's going to be better in the second half of the year. Whereas I think Cooper cup, maybe has more of a chance to step in right away. And, um, from what, you know, we've, we've read on, um, from his OTA performances, you know, he's, he's impressed and, you know, it looks like he's picked up the offense right away. So I, I look at a guy like, like, like cup that can be a security blanket type type receiver for Goff, And uh, I think that can be a connection that we can look, look for, um, throughout the season. Yeah, that's really where I'm at with it. I, I I think Cooper Cup is the most likely to be successful, but I think Josh Reynolds could have the biggest impact. Yeah, there, 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 there's, there's no doubt. I think Josh Reynolds' ceiling, I think his ceiling is higher than a lot of their draft picks that they took, whereas you know Cooper Cup's ceiling might not be as high, but his floor is a lot you know, higher than a guy like, like, like Reynolds and, and Everett for that matter. Right, right, right. Um, a couple last things before we get out of here. What do you see the Rams win total at this year? Now, it looked like they were going to be in for Jeremy Macklin, though that now looks to be, uh, though you never can be 110% sure. Uh, Macklin looks to be headed to Buffalo unless I missed a, a for sure signing today, which I very easily could have. Um, what do you think the win total is for the Rams as presently constructed? Um, you know, I, I see somewhere probably in the five to six range. Uh, I think that's a, a realistic possibility. I think maybe somewhere between seven and nine is, you know, an optimistic way, way to look at it. But I think five to six is, is, is realistic. And if you take away, you know, what they were last year, I, I think five to six in Sean McVay's first year should be seen as, as a success as much as you don't want to say five to six wins is a successful year. But in McVay's first year and given what they were last year, I'd say that would be a successful 
building stone for the future. All right. And how long do you think McVeigh will be in charge of the Los Angeles Rams? Um, you know, you know, we we pointed out, or you pointed out some, some good points at the end of the the Sigmund interview. You know, um, Fisher was with the Rams for five years, and you know, Cronky with, with Arsenal has a has a history of you know keep maybe keeping guys longer than he probably should. So I think, I, I think we can we can see McVeigh here for or in Los Angeles for you know four to five years. I, I think that's a, that's a fair fair assessment. All righty. Um, now, what do you have coming up this week? Good sir. Tell the people. Tell the people what you are going to give them. Um, potentially, um, we'll get potentially. back. Potentially. Yeah. yeah um, I most likely we'll have a, we'll have a video um, uh, of, of like a pump up video for, for the Rams 2017 season. Um, been, been, been trying to work on it. Just been busy with the um, NCAA college college baseball and softball tournaments at work but um we'll try to have that done this week and you know you and i have to be back on the ram ram it down your throat and uh get, get some of those episodes cranking out again yeah we definitely will man it's been a minute since we've done one of those and i really enjoy doing them so we should get back to doing those uh as for myself i am going to be trying to track down jordan schultz of the Huffington Post. He and I have been trying to work with one another uh, to get an interview done. So hopefully uh, he and I are able to get that done at some point this week. Mm. And outside of that, um, assuming Mycin is okay and healthy, he should be back next week. But I am prepared to have Blaine on deck in the event that Mycin needs another week to recuperate. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully Mycin's all right and everything's good there. And um, if if needed, I I will be here and available next week. So, um, I just want to say a big shout out to my tattoo artist Aaron Bauholtz, who basically crushed my marble sleeve. It's done. Uh, two years and a week after I started it. You gotta love those Facebook reminders. Two years ago today. Um, you gotta, uh, that tell you how long it's been. Uh, it, it's been about, well, it has been two years and one week since I started my marble sleeve. And I am thrilled to say that I am finally finished with it. It is completed. Uh, Aaron knocked it out of the park, and this is about as gorgeous of a sleeve as you will ever see from the Marvel perspective. Um, do, you, do you have pictures of it up, up, up on the Twitterverse yet, or, or have you? Uh, you I, I, have, I have a few of them up there, but I am going to, as soon as my wife gets home here in about 15 to 20 minutes, I am going to have her take a number of them with my camera and then upload them to uh, the uh, the good old laptop, and I will I will launch them on the web for people to gawk at. And Can't wait to see it. 
I can't wait to show it off, man. I, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I'm i so jazzed about this thing. I think it's run already came out. Uh, you can see pictures of Eternity on my Twitter sphere already, and I think he came out just uh, perfect. Per- perfect, yeah. You know, just that Italian, like that, you know, this kiss of the fingers. Just kind of got that, yeah, It's that's about where we're at with it. All right. So, uh, on that note, uh, I would like to say you can follow Blaine on Twitter at BXGrissack1983 or just 83? 1993. 1990, uh, one of these days, I will... You always try to put 10 years on you. Yeah, I always try to put 10 years on you. It's, it's true, I do. Um, you can follow Blaine on Twitter at bxgrissack1993. It's because, also- Blaine, you're making both of us feel old. That's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. Uh, you can follow our great producer on Twitter at SportsSpeaks. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at FightOnTwist. And please give the site a follow at Turf Show Times. Uh, we will be back next week uh, answering your Ramily questions, and uh, hopefully, we will have another guest. Uh, potentially, potentially, uh, a really, really great guest that we were almost going to go and try uh, and do this week, but it just it wouldn't have worked out. Um, I I would have been pushing it to try and make it, and as it turns out, I wouldn't have made it, and my sin definitely apparently wouldn't have made it. So, um, uh, hopefully we can get that interview done, and if we can, then we will have a fantastic guest uh, here in the coming weeks on Church of My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.